what I want to focus on is, and, and this, this has been kind of captivating me now for, for um, a couple weeks anyway. It's this last week of Christ's life. It's like we, you know, at times we, we, we just kind of make, you know, Easter like a lot of other things. It's more of our Christian holiday than it is what was God actually doing? What, what was happening here? And when I went through and looked at um, the week and there, you know, the various things that were happening, it, it brought me to this place. And, I, and I, yesterday it hit me in the afternoon. I'm working on this. And I mean, I just sat, it, it, I was at my office. And I just uh, sat in the chair for a while and, and I found myself I was going back and forth between amazement and weeping. At this, like here we are, we're down. There's one week, and in that week, everything Jesus did and said was so distinct. Because in just a few short days, a seed was going to be sown into the ground. In just a few short days, the leaven was about to be put into the lump. And the people around town had no idea. Even as, you know, as we know, when you read through the Gospels at this point, the, the disciples hadn't even figured it out. They're still arguing over who's going to be first, who gets to sit here, who, what about, you know. They, they are totally off the mark of what is about to be accomplished. But the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we killed him. He chose love towards us. And murder was our only response to true love. And that's all starting to hit its, the, the ending point in this week. And Jesus knew it. So to, to walk, for him to walk out this week, I, you know, I, I, would, I would surmise that there was a certain level of within him of it's not all done. They still don't get it. And for him, there was this place of like, I, I've come to do the will of the Father. I'm doing and will do what he's asked me to do. And in that, as we learn to rest, he also had to rest. Because he's, been, he's, he's surrounded by voices that are telling him, you should be doing it differently, or you shouldn't be doing it at all. Because nobody was getting it. And so, as we, as we go kind of start walking through this, so Saturday and Sunday, Jesus knew, drew near to Jerusalem from John eleven fifty five. I'm not going to read all the verses because that will take a long time. That's why I put them and then you can go home and read them for yourself. <laughs> and Jesus knew, drew near to Jerusalem, John eleven fifty five, arriving at Bethany six days before the Passover, John 12, 1. On a Saturday, Jesus was anointed at Simon the leper's house, and there's the scriptures for that, 
And on Sunday, a great crowd came to Bethany to see Jesus, which is John 12, 9. So coming in, he, he comes in to, to uh, he comes near to Jerusalem, he's staying at Bethany, and it's all about the Passover. And of course, the, the Passover is the culmination of, of everything that the Old Covenant has spoken of. At some point, a permanent atonement has to take place because the way the atonement of the Old Covenant is structured, it requires doing it over and over and over again. And as the New Testament tells us, it never brought anybody to a point where their conscience was actually cleansed. And actually, in the, the celebrations and the, the, the feast days, I'll say it that way, the feast days that were uh, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles in particular, all of those, though times of celebration, times of being focused at the temple and all, always brought the person to this, to this place that I'm not complete yet. I have to do this on an ongoing basis. And so here Jesus now arrives at Jerusalem in the week of Pentecost. On Monday, the next day, John 12, 12, Jesus entered Jerusalem, a lot of verses there, and visited the temple, and, we, and there he's cleansing the temple, and, and then he returns to Bethany. That particular day, that Monday, was Nisan 10, when the Passover lambs were selected. And I just find this amazing, that Jesus, on the day that the Passover lambs are selected, so in Jerusalem, at the sheep's gate, at the, the areas where the, the sheep are all assembled for selection, everybody is doing what they always do leading up to Pentecost. We've got to select the sheep. And on that same day, in that same time, the Lamb of God himself has walked into Jerusalem to be selected. Except his selection was by rejection. <laughs> so he visits the temple, you know, and uh, we've talked about this before, but the whole, the whole place of cleansing the temple, what was, what was he demonstrating? What was he, what was he, um, what was he calling people to? And the, the, uh, the, um, the court area where the money changers would have been, the court area where the animals are. We, we, we've all talked about this before. But that area of the temple was called the court of the Gentiles. And what was Jesus angry about? Instead of a place where the, the Gentiles could come and hear the voice of Yahweh, they had filled it with money changing and animals for a sacrificial system that they didn't even have faith in. So he drove out and, you know, we, again, just reiterating some things. Jesus never took a rip, uh, rip, never took a whip because he didn't give a rip. <laughs> I knew it was supposed to be there somewhere. Just, yeah. Jesus, when he took the whip, he never struck a man or woman or child with the whip. He drove the animals out of the temple. And it doesn't even say that he struck them. 
I mean, most animals that have been around whips have that figured out. You show it to them, I'm out of here. Yep. Get, just get me in the right direction, I'm gone. You know, and, and so it's this place where Jesus wasn't exib- exhibiting violence. He was actually exhibiting what freedom and liberty are supposed to look like and how you've contaminated it with the violence that you've created by holding to a system with idolatry instead of realizing that this was intended as the court of the Gentiles to be the place where a Gentile could actually walk into the temple without, because he can't, as a Gentile, I couldn't go through mikvah, I couldn't be washed. But there was a place in Yahweh's heart where even the unclean can come and hear his voice. And that was the court of the Gentiles. And it was filled with money changers and animals waiting to be bought for sacrifice. That was never God's intention. That was never his plan. That was only the idolatry and the corruption of people. So Nisan 10, the the Passover lambs are being chosen and Jesus walks into the temple. Likewise, the entry into Jerusalem was the day when Jesus presented himself as I said, as the, as the Paschal Lamb, here I am. On Tuesday, on the, way to Bethany, on the way from Bethany to Jerusalem, Jesus cursed the fig tree. And in Jerusalem, he challenged the temple practice of selling on the premises. Some religious leaders began to plot ways to kill him. That evening, Jesus left Jerusalem, presumably returning to Bethany. So he's in and out. And I probably, if you've been watching The Chosen, probably this has given me at least the most, um, um, the most understanding of, you know, to be in Jerusalem. I mean, at this point, he's a wanted man. And, and his close circle, they're not far behind him in being wanted. You didn't just move around the town like you wanted to. I mean, every, you had to be careful what streets you were on. You knew where, where the Romans were positioned. You, so to move in and out of Jerusalem was not an easy task, but absolutely necessary in that he couldn't hang any place too long before somebody said, hey, Jesus is over there. And when you had, the, at this point, the reputation he had and probably... Um, I don't even know what session it was this year on The Chosen, but he had been out of town, and nobody knew where he was at. They're all hanging, the disciples are all hanging around in town just doing their normal stuff. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes running down the street going, he's back. And that's all it took. And now the whole city starts coalescing around him just on the word that he's back. Wednesday, on the way to Jerusalem, the disciples saw the withered fig tree. At the temple in Jerusalem, Jesus' authority and wisdom were questioned by some religious leaders. That afternoon, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives and delivered his discourse to those assembled. Two additional things occurred on that day. One, Jesus predicted that in two days he would be crucified at the time of the Passover. And two, 
Judas planned the betrayal of Jesus with some religious leaders. And then Jesus, or Judas portrayed, betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So again, it's just the tension is there. I mean, we, we know as you read through these scriptures that, you know, the plotting, had, it, it, the plotting was at its high point. We, we've, we've decided a while back the best thing to do is kill him. What we're not sure is when and where. How are we going to pull that off? Who's going to be involved? How does this, how is this all going to mix? And at the same time, Jesus is declaring who he is and what's about to come. And even then, they're still struggling. What? Two days you're going to be crucified? It can't be. It can't be. I mean, you've got too much more yet to do. By Thursday, Jesus and his disciples prepared the Passover lamb. And that's, that's an interesting thought that Jesus and his disciples prepared the lamb. Well, what did that mean? They slit its throat and prepared it. That's what every family would do. And I I don't know what that must have felt like for him to do that, to prepare the Passover lamb knowing that he was about to be the last Passover lamb. So they had their Seder meal together. Jesus shared his heartfelt words with his disciples and offered an intercessory prayer on their behalf. They arrived at the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus suffered in agony, awaiting what was to come. Later that night, Jesus was betrayed and arrested. He was tried first by Annas, later by Caiaphas and other religious leaders. Um, I think I've said this before, but an interesting point about this to me is the Sanhedrin was the governing body for the Jewish community. And the way the Sanhedrin was set up is the way... I mean, our court system, in theory, was to be modeled after it. But in the Sanhedrin, you're innocent until you're proven guilty. And you have to be proven by two or more witnesses. And the whole time the two or, the two or three or whatever witnesses are giving testimony to the crime that you've committed, the role of the Sanhedrin is to argue against that from a position of innocence. And if the, if the testimony of the witnesses is superior, then the person is found guilty. But the whole way the Sanhedrin was to function was it's really difficult to get a conviction, except for this time, where the innocent was presumed guilty and it was merely a formality because we have to do the process. But nobody argued in Jesus' defense. No one, you know, when you read through the gospel account, no one questioned the validity of the evidence. 
the evidence was assumed to be correct and Jesus was known to be guilty. So he gets passed around from the different ones that are, that are trying to work this system around so that ultimately, uh, you know, ultimately he's, he's, he's guilty, he's tried, and he's condemned. So on Friday, early in the morning, Jesus was tried by the Sanhedrin, back to Pilate, from Pilate to Herod Anipus, from Herod back to Pilate. Nobody could figure out how to get it right. Only to get to the place where Pilate, Jesus is just a bloody pulp at this point. It's miraculous that he's alive by, by everything that's been done to him. And Pilate is looking at him and going, like, why are you here? So in Pilate's mind, even this, this makes no sense. This is an innocent man. There is no body of evidence that's been brought that even as Pilate, I should be standing here going, condemn him. And we, you know, we know how that, that all plays out, but it's like they were so bent on, on the verdict, verdict that they wanted that they became blind to any level of truth. He's led to the cross and crucified at 9 a.m. And he dies at 3 p.m. and was buried later that day. Jesus died at the same time the Passover lambs were being slaughtered. It's just incredible to me. This is... This isn't just a story that bumps along. This is the hand of the living God becoming flesh and stepping into our humanity, stepping into our world, our society, our culture, all that he, that he did. And, and yet the, the hand of the Father is like, no, that all things might be fulfilled. Because this new covenant is eradicating the old covenant. This new covenant doesn't look anything like the covenant you lived under. And, and um, to use N.T. Wright's words, which I have, I, I just have adopted them, and pretty much, I do give him credit, so I don't exactly plagiarize them, but I use them all the time. But, 3 p.m. on a Friday was the day the revolution began. The seed has been put into the ground. The leaven has been placed in the lump. And the world will never be the same again. And we're still part of the never again. The things that we struggle with, the things that we walk through, the, 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 the things in our lives that we're dealing with, whether it be just to us personally or with our family members, all that, we are still the manifestation of never again, never again. The rule of sin over humanity is about to be shattered and never again. Now, we can... 
we can acquiesce to it. I can choose to go in that direction. There's things I can do. It doesn't make us all robots. But from the viewpoint of God and where the hand of God is moving humanity, we live in the, in the realm of never again. Never again. So the, let me, I don't have this in my notes. So I'll, I'll step over here because now I've stepped away from my notes. <laughs> Many of us in this room are first generation Christians. Others of us have the privilege to be from multiple generations of believers. God bless you. There's things that you get a benefit from that your ancestors have sown into your life. And that can't be taken away from you. It's there. It's part of your DNA. It's part of your family and others that you, you have died and went to glory before you even were thought of have sown into your life. Their prayers are in your life. Their words are in your life. Their actions are in your life. All those things. There's others of us that are first-generation Christians. Now, when I'm using the term first-generation Christian, I'm not talking about Christmas and Easter. I'm talking about families that were actually born again, pursuing God, and we, we grew up in an environment where the discussions of who God is and what he does were a normal part of how we lived. Those of us that are first-generation Christians, we didn't have that. That was not our experience. We might have had some exposure to Christianity, but not to the living God and knowing, as, as Valerie said so well. As soon as they told me I could talk to God, I haven't stopped. <laughs> Nobody told me I could talk to God. But like her, once I found out you can, it's like, this is pretty cool. I think I'll just talk to God a lot. So for us as first-generation Christians, we're establishing the never again for the first time on the earth. And it's hard work because we don't get to stand on the shoulders of our previous generations as we, as we step into this. But it doesn't make us a victim. It doesn't make this impossible. It just says we now have the responsibility of sowing into future generations in our family who we will be in glory before they ever show up. But I am sowing into them. My words now will be there for them whenever they show up. My words are part of what I'm giving them. And when generations have worked at building the never again. That's, that's one platform. For those of us that we're the first generation building the never again, if, if, I, I, the only picture that comes to mind, and this is probably not the nicest picture, those of us that are the first generation building the never again, we're the first ones off the landing craft at Normandy. Some of us will get through this. A lot of us 
are going to give our lives, but what are we giving our lives for? We're, we're giving our lives for the next landing craft and the one after that. Because at a certain point, the landing craft drives up on the beach and everybody walks off. Maybe that's not going to be my experience. But it is the legacy, it is the inheritance that I can establish. Now, you know, and I, you know I'm, I'm not saying we're all going to, you know, get mowed down. So I'm just saying it's that the, for the first generation, we're pushing against powers of darkness that have been in our families for generations that have created ways of iniquity that have moved through our families for generations. And we have the privilege of being the ones going, not again, not again. Maybe alcoholism has been in my family as far back as people tell stories about us. Maybe divorce has been in my family for as far back as people talk about us. Or maybe we're the family, and I know a young man right now, he says, I hate my last name. Because everybody hears, hears my last name. We're the, we're the worthless family. We're the troublemaking family. We're the, we're, we're the, the family, if there's going to be something missing, go knock on their door. You know? And um, right now, myself and some others, we're, we're helping him actually come to terms with his last name and see it as something that can be a last name of value. So don't cast your last name off. Build a new future. Because it can and it will and it's supposed to be different. So wherever we are in this thing, it's like, how do we, um, in, this, in, in my lifetime, I will not do everything I carry in my heart to do. I've settled it. Because if my brain keeps coming up with new stuff, I did, you know, you know, at, I don't know. At, at 300, when I get the award for the longest beard on the planet, my brain, I'm sure, will still be going, well, we could do this. Oh, crap. I thought I could get to the end of the we could do stuff. You know, I, but I, I'm, I'm pretty confident that any of us that carry dreams, any of us that carry vision, we won't get everything accomplished. But there's, we will watch part of that be accomplished by the next generations. We will, we will build the inheritance, and they will be able to walk in that inheritance and prosper in that inheritance. Because I spent the time praying and interceding. I spent the time tearing down strongholds that had been in our family. I spent the time warring against iniquity that seems to, to capture members of my family on a regular basis. And, they, and when they get caught, it seems like it's so stinking hard for them to get out of it. Why is that? Well, I've been called, if I can see it, 
then I can war against it. And I have, to, I have to do this from this place that not everybody gets everything we want. And sometimes with our family members, everything we want for them, they, they, don't, they don't get it. But that doesn't mean that what we've done has been done in vain. God is the seer of all things. God's with them. God's the redeemer, the, the redemption. Uh, you know, as you know, when we had um, Chris Santos here several years back, and he talked about his experience of killing himself, and then now that he's dead, he steps into this realm, and the demons he was running from are still there, and he cries out, "Jesus, help me!" And all of a sudden, Jesus was there. And when Jesus showed up, the demons left. And Chris was born again when he was dead. Now, in his case, yeah, in his case, Jesus said, well, now that we got that out of the way, I think you should go back and live a little longer. So he's still living and still doing other things. But it's like, you know, again, uh, it's just even, even in death, it's not final. If, if, it, if in death it's final, then death still has the victory. But the word says that death has been defeated. And if it's been defeated, it's defeated. Whereas somebody said earlier today, it's not, it's defeated, but. And I'm certainly no English scholar, but I think one thing I know about the word but, if you put it in a sentence, wherever but appears, it negates everything on yep. that led up to it, and it establishes everything that's after it. So maybe we need to be delivered from but. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, get your butt out of here. So, okay. On Saturday, Jesus' body was in the tomb during the Sabbath, and the Pharisees hired the Roman guards to keep watch of the tomb. And finally, on Sunday, Christ was resurrected from the dead. He was the first of many resurrections to come, which was the type of first fruit offering. Start of the unleavened bread. The first fruit offering were made the day after Sabbath. So again, it's, everything had its place. Everything in that week, Jesus, both in what he said and what he did, was speaking volumes about who he is. So I would encourage you, maybe take, take this, this list, which is why I did it this way, and you know, as we go through this week, Take each day and the scriptures that pertain to that day. Maybe just give a time of meditation and see what Holy Spirit wants to say to you about that. Um, <clears throat> and then next week we'll talk about resurrection. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> it doesn't end. Father, I thank you for today. I thank you, Lord God, for for having habitation with us. Lord, that you, 
we get to come into your courts and in your courts there's there's this place of um, union with you that uh, as the scriptures tell us that we can come boldly to the throne of grace we don't have to back in we don't have to crawl in uh, we don't have to come in with our heads down that we can just boldly come to the throne of grace because we're in union with you. So I thank you for this company of believers. I thank you for the healing that you're releasing in all of us and through all of us. And Lord, may we be a people who uh, just celebrate you through all the circumstances, knowing that you are our deliverer. You are our provider. You are the one that we are in union with. Amen.